Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one righteous page of Talmud a day. And I say righteous because today's pages, Gitin 38 and 39, give us an opportunity to contemplate the most righteous among us, especially non-Jews. Have a listen. The Gemara challenges this statement. Would it be easier to redeem the maidservant once the Gentile discovered that she is the maidservant of a Jew? This is a, a legalistic discussion that the rabbis are having. But didn't the master say, the animals of Jews are more beloved to Gentiles than their own wives? Obviously meant as some kind of a joke, tongue-in-cheek. But the Talmud continues, apparently the Gentiles held the Jews in high regard. So much so that even a Jewish maidservant would not be lowered in the Gentiles' estimation. This is a kind of an odd and uh, unusual reminder that while the Talmud certainly documents its fair share of conflict and tension between Jews and Gentiles, it also tells us, look, there are some Gentiles who held Jews in high regard and some Gentiles who sought to be close to Jews and who did a lot for their Jewish friends and neighbors. This gives me a perfect opportunity to welcome to the show the author of one of the most stirring books that I've read in a very long time. You know, you think you know a lot about a subject, and then along comes a book that really leaves you shaken in the best possible way. The book is In the Garden of the Righteous, the heroes who risked their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust. The author is Richard Horowitz. Sir, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So as we read in today's pages that there are some Gentiles who like the Jews quite a bit and, and in fact are willing to risk themselves and go to great length to sort of stand with their Jewish friends and neighbors. Tell us a little bit about this remarkable book. Yeah, I mean, your section is very relevant, obviously, and I, I opened the book with the person who's considered um, the first uh, righteous, which was the Pharaoh's daughter. But the book uh, focuses on on stories um, during World War II and during the Holocaust. And the rescue um, was was obviously quite, quite rare. Um, so Yad Vashem in Jerusalem has recognized of order of magnitude 27,000 people. And the, the criterion are quite stringent. You really had to risk your life for your, for your neighbor. Which I'm sorry to, to interrupt. You write in the introduction, and this really kind of stirred me because I never thought about it before you say, well, this may seem like a large number, I quote from the book, it represents just half of one hundredth of one percent of the European population during the Second World War, or about one person out of 20,000. One person out of 20,000 risked their lives for their Jewish friends and neighbors. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that they're, they're really very unknown stories, uh, other than the story of Raoul Wallenberg, most people know, and then after the movie in, in, in 1994, Schindler, and some people know the story of Denmark. But once you get beyond that, it's actually, for a variety of reasons, very undercovered. And, you know, I opened my book with the story of Aristides de Souza Mendes and his rescue of the people who wrote Curious George, but he actually saved 30,000 people and virtually nobody's heard of him. And I, I've been interested in, I was interested in rescue going back to college um, when I first toured the Holocaust Museum, and I, I found there was a small exhibit on, on rescue that, that I found very inspirational. And I started writing these stories up for different newspapers from you know, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And I found, actually, um, the reaction was so powerful and enormous, um, well beyond the Jewish community. And there was virtually no anti-Semitic comments on Twitter or anywhere else in response to them, basically zero. And people just found them extraordinarily inspirational. I think there's a great deal we can learn from why people chose to do this. Some of the stories are just 
you know, they're amazing. I have a story that takes place in a circus, the story of Gino Bartoli, who won the Tour de France. He was one of the most famous athletes in Europe. He, he rescued a family of Jews and then rescued about 700 people by hiding fake documents in his bicycle and that never told anybody. Prince Charles's grandmother, sorry, King Charles, that she um, she hid a family of Jews in her palace in Athens, right across the street from the Gestapo, and never told anybody. So there's there's tons of these stories that are out there that people just don't know, and I think there's a huge historical injustice that everybody knows who Himmler is and everybody knows who Goering is, but nobody knows who many of these people are. You know, there's kind of a challenge, I think, when when telling these stories because you, you could really go very wrong in one of two, you know, conflicting ways, right? You, you could say, okay, look, uh, look at these good people. Here is reason to feel hopeful for humanity. Or you could say, well, look at the fact that it was only one out of 20,000 people. Well, here's a reason to feel, you know, pretty, pretty pessimistic for humanity. And if your book leaves, at least left me, but I think really would leave anyone uh, fortunate enough to read it, feeling a bit of both, feeling both very sober uh, about how rare these saviors among us were, but also incredibly uh, hopeful that there were so many who, who risked their lives. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think that that is a fair assessment. The, the New York Review of Books just um, reviewed it in the current issue and came to a similar conclusion where um, found it both very inspirational but also very alarming. And, um, you know, I'm also quite interested in the areas which I think are particularly hopeful of group rescue, places like Denmark, places like Albania, where you had a 100% survival rate. And I think there we can um, think about why that happened. And also, you know, there was an interesting quote um, that I mentioned in the book from uh, a rescuer in Holland who said, Something like we, the the kind of people who risked our lives, because you have to, that, that was, it was very dangerous depending on where you were in Europe. I mean, in Poland, if you were caught rescuing, they killed you and your family and the people you were rescuing. And it was, you know, really a very extreme. So we have to keep that in, in context. But what the this rescuer in Holland said was people like him were the tip of the spear. But what really made them successful was that other people around them were sort of quietly supportive. And if you look at places in Europe where you had lower levels of anti-Semitism and sort of a different culture, you, you did have higher rescue rates um, because the community around was quietly supportive. And then in places where everybody kind of stood together against the Nazis, you had survival rates of, you know, a hundred to, you know, percent up close to a hundred percent. And it was places like the entire nation of Denmark and the entire nation of Albania and the town of Le Chambon in France. And so that was possible to do. And so that, that also speaks volumes about, you know, the fact that, that people, you know, who stood by actually were, were quite complicit. Right. And, and the interesting thing is a lot of the rescuers, you know, were treated quite poorly after the war. And there were a lot of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons was it's very difficult to say, I couldn't have done anything when you had people who were your next door neighbors who actually did something. Right. Well, Richard Horwitz, may may we all be fortunate to have many, many, many among us and, and we ourselves to do the right thing when the time comes and the time perhaps is now. And in the meantime, to read your remarkable, remarkable book in the Garden of the Righteous. Thank you so much for being our guest. Oh, thanks for having me again. This has been Take One. 
If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you're going to enjoy our brand new Take One newsletter even more. Each week, you'll get an extra shot of Talmudic wisdom straight to your inbox. And for those who sign up before Tractate Gittin ends, we'll be raffling off some Take One swag. So make sure to subscribe at tabletm.ag slash Take One newsletter. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And you could get your Take One t-shirts, mugs, and other amazing form of swag at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.dafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.